welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who love the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. This week, I have a conversation with horror and sci-fi writer Jeff C. Carter. We get super analytical. Well, he does, because I'm not good at that. He tells me how A Nightmare on Elm Street was his gateway into horror, the deeper meaning he believes behind Cloverfield, and why supernatural horror movies scare him the most. He also talks about his podcast, We Bleed Orange and Black, and gives me tips for keeping the Halloween spirit alive all year round. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you so much to everyone who's already left us a review. It's really appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this episode with Jeff C. Carter. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. Good morning to you too. Thanks for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera? Sure. My name is Jeff C. Carter. I am from Connecticut originally. I now live in Southern California and I write horror and science fiction. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Favorite is a tough, is tough, you know? Like, what's my favorite star in the sky? There's a whole universe out there. But if I had to pick one, and I guess I do, since you put me on the spot, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nice. Why that one? I saw that movie at way too young an age. I'm the youngest of four, which means I was exposed to all sorts of things I should not have been. It's so tender an age. And I have the psychic scars to prove it. And I feel like, you know, that first deep trauma is the one that, is the gift that really keeps giving. Yeah. I mean, I for years, I, I literally had nightmares about that movie. And I think, you know, it's like uh, Stockholm Syndrome. You know, I went from having nightmares about Freddy Krueger to having a Freddy Krueger poster on my wall. Mm, yeah. yeah. So you, you love him now. Yes. Or I'm, <laughs> you know, some tortured part of my brain is sort of pleading, you know, trying, trying to uh, get on his good side. Did you watch the early 2000s remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street? I didn't. I'm not much of a remake guy. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't very good. So I would, that was a good move. <laughs> yeah. So how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? I just had a crazy imagination and uh, yeah, I love action and I love fantasy but I feel like horror by definition is about the unknown. It's a, it's very nebulous and it, and it invites you to sort of shape it with your own imagination. So I feel like for anyone who's got a runaway imagination, horror is the best playground. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? You know, the sort of tried and true theory is that horror is a dress rehearsal for real life obstacles and scary events, but sort of leaning back towards my Nightmare on Elm Street experience, there's also the idea that sources of early trauma become sort of baked in sources of fascination later in life. It's like a problem that your brain is constantly revisiting to try to solve. And in my experience, the people that are most into horror as adults were really sensitive as kids and really shocked and 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 terrified by things really early on and that's sort of where they got bitten and they got the bug and then later on in life they really developed an appreciation of horror as opposed to people for whom horror never really got under their skin at any age i i think those people you have to know fear to be able to sort of appreciate horror. You don't get those diehard horror fans if they weren't scared themselves at some point. Oh, that's a really interesting answer. I, I don't, I don't think I fall into that bracket. I don't think I was a sensitive kid, but, but I love horror now. So who knows? <laughs> so you developed a taste for it? Yeah. I mean, I, I watched the first horror movie that I remember watching as a kid 
was Scream when I was 11 and it came out on VHS. So. I'm, I'm glad that you got the VHS experience. It is so interesting that you, your, your touchstone is Scream, which is a meta commentary, you know, based on all this other stuff that's come before. Uh, and, and I do think that, you know, I listened to your October wrap up and I think that has informed so much of your perspective in horror movies. But, uh, and, 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 you know, you're working with your back catalog and now you must be like, oh, that's Scream reference that, Scream reference this, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Totally. So I wonder, I wonder if you, I mean, Scream is just fun. I mean, it, it, and it's scary and it's effective, but I wonder if you sort of like a, a bird coming out of the egg, you imprinted on Scream and maybe you had more of a, I don't know, did you have more of like an intellectual reaction to horror, a more sort of a, a distance meta critique reaction to it, as opposed to like, oh, this is the thrill ride, you know, what's going to happen? This is scary. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I do like the more intellectual horror. I love elevated horror, not all of it. Like, I don't like The Lighthouse and The Witch, but I definitely don't like just straightforward slashers like Friday the 13th, Halloween. I think those are just boring and they're also really badly acted. Yeah. But the movie, your favorite movie is The Ring, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, I love The Ring because I love creepy atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me too. Definitely. Okay. So it's not just stuff that sort of tickles the intellectual meta part of your brain. You like the vibes. Yeah, definitely. But I think there is also like an intellectual part to the ring as well, because she's trying to solve the mystery of the history of this tape That's and Samara and everything. True. And Scream is also a mystery. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I'm starting to unlock your preferences <laughs> here. I'm starting to yeah. see the pattern. Yep. Yeah. And uh also Cloverfield is one of my top three favorite movies. And that I think they're just trying to figure out the mystery of what's going on in New yeah. York City. So uh, Cloverfield is great. You know, normally there's a, a school of thought that you don't want to, you know, for lack of a better word, mix your metaphor. And in Cloverfield, you've got a giant outside force. And then at a certain point, these like parasites fall off the monsters mm -hmm. and those are terrifying. And then you get bit by a parasite and you get like super Ebola. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, well, what is it? Is it Godzilla sites kaiju that's stopping through the city or is it outbreak? Is there some bloodborne disease or, you know, insect disease you need to worry about? But taken as a whole, it's just about apocalypse, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that, sh that anime Attack on Titan. It's, it's about these giant, you know, ostensibly about these giant creatures that are attacking the city from the outside. But at every turn, the characters are in peril and things go wrong. And it's about so much more than just these giant creatures. It's just relentless brutality and this, this crushing onslaught of hopelessness. And that's really what the story's about. And I think Cloverfield's like that too. It's not about, oh, it's a disease or, oh, it's a giant monster. It's like, it's just about destruction and how do you face up to that yeah that's really interesting i'm not i mean that's a really deep take on cloverfield i know the writer just wrote it to be a new york city godzilla so no. but that's a really interesting take and i they are they are in production for a direct sequel next year to it okay so i'm really i'm really excited because it's obviously not going to be the same characters unless they uh, <laughs> yeah, survived right. the nuclear bombing of Manhattan. But so we'll see what happens. I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. The Cloverfield paradox just didn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I am, like, I am right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I thought 10 Cloverfield was amazing. Paradox felt like something slapped on, Yeah, you know, a different script with Cloverfield slapped onto it. Yeah, I mean, well, Ten Cloverfield Lane was originally not in the universe, and then they were like, what about we make this a Cloverfield movie? So, yeah. yeah. Which is kind of a, 
it's a fun way to mix it up and keep the audience guessing if if it's done well but if you look at like the hellraiser franchise or the howling movies where they they have the rights to a character like pinhead and they have to make a movie every like two or three years so the rights don't lapse and so let's take any cheap horror script off the pile and then call it hellraiser and you'd be like this is this was never a hellraiser movie (laughs) you know pinhead shows up in a hotel room for five minutes at the end you're like okay well congratulations you've renewed the rights to a pinhead but this is not a good sequel yeah i don't like hellraiser so i've only watched the first one i've never seen any of the sequels i'm going to watch the new one that came out in the last couple months next month but i just don't care for so i would say the first one is probably the most intellectually stimulating and then there there's a sleep there's a there's a steep decline after that there's some fun stuff they go to space don't worry no i don't i don't care about them going to space i'd rather than not exist because i don't like the first movie (laughs) but you know that's just me for people who like it very happy for them so Mm -hmm. just it's just not for me (laughs) so what scares you nowadays in movies and in real life i'm not scared of anything supernatural ghosts demons you know whatever i don't believe in you know cryptids or or anything like that (laughs) i'm not worried about aliens but any movie that sort of captures the feel of real world horror you know the the remake of dawn of the dead with the fast zombies for the first time really created this compelling picture of societal collapse and that really scared me you know fascism scares me so you know the scariest book i've ever read uh, remains 1984 because it's just this this perfect gut punch of a uh, can you hear my kitty it's okay yeah <laughs> she's gonna count to 20 and then she'll get out of her system (laughs) but yeah 1984 scared the hell out of me and like continues to scare the hell out of me you know the news is sort of the scariest show i watch and you know i'm not i don't believe in the devil but possession movies that sort of trade in dementia loss of self loss of control like those things are really scary. Definitely. Like what kind of possession movies are you are you referring to? Exorcist comes to mind as a high water mark when they medicalize people in certain situations. You know, I'm I'm scared of hospitals or being hospitalized or losing control and being locked up and things like that. So, you know, I feel like demonic possession is a good metaphor for a lot of those things. But like vampires, you know, I love them, but they don't scare me. Okay. Have you seen the movie Unsane? I'm not. You should you should watch it if you have a fear of being locked up. That sounds terrible. Why would I do that? Because <laughs> you like being scared. So do it. You know, it- I like being entertained. I don't know <laughs> how much I really enjoy being scared. I, I appreciate the craftsmanship, but but nowadays, and maybe that's just because of the world we live in, I think I like comfort horror more than I like actual visceral, terrifying horror. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> what are your favorite subgenres in horror? I like it when a bunch of kids kick a monster's ass. So... Uh, Fright Night, Lost Boys, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Monster Squad, things like that where where you can fight back or even Army of Darkness. It's really satisfying. You know, when I first, I remember when I saw Evil Dead 2, Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness, and maybe it's because I, I was raised on Nightmare on Elm Street, but there's a scene where ash just belts a monster in the face and i was it was like revelatory i was like you can do that 
Like you can fight back. You can actually just blast a monster in the jaw. And that was so cool. That sort of cross genre mix of action and horror, because I don't like people sort of just stuck in a cage being tortured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like really active protagonists that are making smart choices and that are really trying to stay alive, not walking down stairs in a dark basement being like, I'll be right back. And you know, <laughs> they're just going to get killed off and gutted like a fish. Who are your favorite horror directors? You know, pound for pound, you, you got to go with Wes Craven and John Carpenter. But, you know, David Fincher did the movie Seven. And you've got these little one-offs like Teen Wolf or Bram Stoker's Dracula that I just adore. I've never seen Bram Stoker's Dracula. so It is visually gorgeous and does more to push the sort of romance angle than a lot of previous versions of Dracula. And I feel like just like the Wolfman movie brought in silver as like a weakness of werewolf lore that became codified and sort of completed the werewolf myth. I feel like the movie version of Bram Stoker's Dracula relied so heavily on the love story that it became an an intractable part of the story moving forward. Obviously there's, there's elements of it in the book and in some previous movies, but I feel like from that point on, Dracula was mostly a story about star-crossed lovers. Hmm. And I feel like it, it changed the Dracula mythos. Hmm, interesting. So the star-crossed lovers sounds like Twilight a little bit. From yeah. what I hear, I've never watched Twilight or read it, but yeah. Haven't, me neither, but you know, I'll get around to them eventually. <laughs> yeah. So you're one of the hosts of the podcast, We Bleed Orange and Black. What's the premise of your show? So it's a podcast for Halloween and horror lovers. And we talk about horror, obviously, and we write horror. So we present original stories. We also do interviews with indie creators, writers, filmmakers, things like that. And we will do a deep dive into TV shows. And our favorite thing to do is pit 80s versus 90s horror. So I'll take an episode of Tales from the Crypt and we'll pick a theme. And then my co-host, Ryan, will bring an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) Or like, I'll do Twilight Zone and he'll do Goosebumps. And then we'll sort of pit them against each other. Oh, that's so fun. I love Are You Afraid of the Dark? I have some friends that host the podcast Dads from the Crypt. So I should have them on. <laughs> I should. That sounds uh, fantastic. I, yeah. I sort of missed Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'm just a little too old for that. And for years, my buddy Ryan has been begging me to get into the <laughs> show. And at some point I said, like, I'm not going to watch that show you know, unless it's for a podcast. And then that's how we kind of got into it. Um, nice. And now I'm, I'm trying to get him into reviewing Big Wolf on Campus, which was a 90s era, you know, post Buffy show mm. of a, a Teen Wolf type character who gets into all sorts of supernatural hijinks. But if you love werewolves, Big Wolf on Campus is a, a fun 90s nostalgia bomb. Awesome. Always watched Are You Afraid of the Dark growing up. I remember watching the first episode, but I looked it up and Are You Afraid of the Dark premiered in 1990 and I was four. So I don't know how I was allowed to watch it, but I remember watching the first episode. You should check out, I mean, I, I think Are You Afraid of the Dark is streaming now somewhere for free, but if you want to buy the entire series, check out Voodoo tomorrow because I think, or this this week black friday because i bought the entire series for like 9.99 once so it was great 
love so it. you're you're set yeah my my friend ryan has every episode uh oh okay <laughs> and so you know it's my job to sort of hunt down some obscure episode of tales from the crypt or tales from the dark oh, okay. side <laughs> he can just go to a shelf and he's got every copy of are you for the dark there nice awesome i love it <laughs> sometimes so i'll i'll make him watch an episode of bone chillers or some yeah. other weird you know eerie indiana some other weird 90s uh, <laughs> anthology show yeah yeah i don't know a lot of like old 90s shows they just don't hold up now today so i mean even are you afraid of the dark like didn't really hold up when i watched it a few years ago so it, yeah. it was a it was a tough time because they had just started getting into cg mm-hmm. and a lot of the early cg which was so impressive in 1990 you know looks like garbage now yeah. whereas the 80s stuff a lot of practical effects you know it was really there they were really interacting with it and they shot and lit it to be part of the scene so 80s stuff tends to hold up in a way that some of that early 90s early 2000s stuff doesn't and obviously special effects now have you know come so far that a lot of that stuff is seamless and i think will hold up you know decades from now yeah definitely have you guys watched the episode of are you afraid of the dark with that nev campbell is in the tale of the dangerous soup yeah with dr vink with the va 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 yes yeah. <laughs> A lot of great cameos. Yeah. Sometimes we'll rank episodes by star power. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I've got, I've got Brad Pitt over here. You've got Ryan Gosling over there. Uh, Yeah. It's it's a really fun sort of way, not just to look at old horror, but uh, Tales from the Crypt, especially when it was airing on HBO, even though it's a very grimy show sort of a lot of sleazy stuff in it it had an aura of prestige about it where all the actors of the time wanted to work on tales from the crypt for some reason so a lot of big name writers and directors tom hanks demi moore arnold schwarzenegger like everyone from the 80s pops up in tales from the crypt sooner or later very interesting i'll have to Go look back at the history of that soon. <laughs> so you're also a horror and sci-fi writer. Most recently, you published an anthology of stories called We Bleed Orange and Black, 31 Fun-Sized Tales for Halloween, which I'm assuming is associated with the stories that you tell on your podcast. Can you tell me about that and any of your other stories as well? Yeah, thanks for asking. So the stories on the podcast are new and original But if you want to hear stories from We Bleed Orange and Black, the collection, it's out on audio and uh, some other podcasts have been nice enough to adapt some of those to audio as well. But I wrote We Bleed Orange and Black in the beginning of the pandemic. I was looking down the road and I could tell that Halloween was probably going to be canceled or at the very least, it was going to be a real bummer for a lot of people. You know, not many parties, theme parks closed, maybe no trick-or-treating. So I put the book that I was writing on hold and wrote a love letter to Halloween instead. Mm -hmm. And so We Bleed Orange and Black is 31 short stories. And if you so choose, you could read one every day leading up to Halloween. Some reviewers have said they've done that. And really enjoyed it. But it's also just a it's a grab bag of of horror, sci-fi, and humor that you can read year-round to keep the Halloween spirit alive. Awesome. I know so many horror fans will love that because you know, Halloween is not just in October for us. That's right. <laughs> Do you have any fun Halloween so, traditions? Uh, Very cool. Thank you. For Halloween traditions, I've got a couple. I just put away my little uh, Halloween goblin. Years ago, I got this little creature that you put in water and it, mm-hmm. it swells up. And so every October 1st, I put that little guy in water. And then he's got this like little legend associated with him that says, you know, if you take care of the Halloween goblin, 
you know, Halloween will last forever. You'll get lots of candy, things like that. We have a pumpkin carving party every year. We call Pumpkin Palooza. And this year was our 12th, I believe. My friend makes, my co-host, Ryan, makes trophies. And I'm just going to reach down and grab one of the trophies. Oh, cool. <laughs> so they're like Oscars with oh, pumpkin, so cool. yeah. pumpkins on them. Mm -hmm. And of course, making a, you know, slaving away on a costume and going out, hitting as many haunts and theme parks as possible. I really don't like to be at home in October. I, I, I want to go out every Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the very least. Nice. Do you have any favorite horror movies that are Halloween themed that take place around or during Halloween? So a very popular choice right now is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people will put horror movies on in the background or watch them all October long to get in the mood. I don't do a lot of rewatching. I'm one of those people that sort of gets glued to the set. And so I can't put on a movie and do some work. Like it annoys me to be walking in and out if there's a movie on, because I'm going to be trying to follow every scene. Like I don't blink when a movie is on. I'm kind of weird that way. I like to turn off all the lights and sort of hyper-focus. So I can't really use movies as wallpaper. For me, to get into that Halloween vibe, I like to carve pumpkins, decorate the house, and really, you know, I, I need a lot of external feedback. Like, I want to see fall leaves. I want it to be crisp. I want to see other people putting up Halloween decorations. And that sort of creates an overall atmosphere of Halloween spirit. And when Halloween is on Monday, for instance, like it was this year, not too many people dress up. Not a lot of people talk about what they're going to do or make plans. And as a result, the Halloween spirit is kind of lame. So how do you, how do you find changing leaves when you live in Southern California? I go hiking. Oh, okay. Jeez. Yeah. So there is a variety of forests in Southern California and a variety of trees. So where I am right now, it's mostly evergreens, but I don't have to go too far to see some nice changing leaves. You know, growing up in New England, I'm accustomed to a, a certain level of breathtaking fall splendor. And so for that kind of autumnal beauty, you kind of need to hop in the car and head up to the mountains. But we have a lot of mountains here in Southern California. And you could go and get your apple pie and, you know, do all the wonderful fall harvest things. There's also farms and corn mazes and cider and apple picking and things like that. Awesome. So what tips do you have for everyone listening to keep the Halloween spirit alive all year all year round. I would say that, you know, there's a bit of a horror renaissance right now. And so just try to stay current with the stuff that's coming out, you know, Hulu, Paramount Plus, Amazon, movie theaters. We're kind of spoiled for horror right now. There's there's a lot of awesome stuff. And then read widely. There's there's a lot of great books out there. When I was talking with my co-host about this, which is I don't you know, keep the house decorated for Halloween year round. Really do feel like Halloween is a seasonal thing. And so I like to enjoy horror year round, but I don't wear all my Halloween shirts, okay. you know, <laughs> in, in the winter. I do kind of get into Christmas and I love the summer. How about yourself? You know, you're, you're in New York, right? Yeah, I'm in New York. I don't decorate for Halloween at all. So yeah, I just watch horror movies all year, all year round. I don't, right. I personally, I don't feel, I don't ever feel the need to like keep the Halloween spirit alive because I'm just always watching horror movies. Yeah, for me, there is a, there's a slight difference between being a horror fan and Halloween. I feel like Halloween 
is a time and a mood and a, and a spirit. And I like, you know, anticipating it. Yeah. And then I like when it comes up and I get really bummed out when it's over, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, dancing around in the summer singing, this is Halloween, this is Halloween. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> so an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Well, they've got stuff to watch, certainly. <laughs> and if you watch enough horror, you're probably afraid to go outside. So you know, you're already ahead of the game right there. How do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're just hanging out and looking for something to watch? I often don't watch horror movies by myself. You know, before the pandemic, the the best experience I could have would be going to a theater and seeing a horror movie with a crowd and hearing the reactions or going along with a friend. And then you could talk, you know, after and kind of pick the movie apart. During the pandemic, we started a weekly little sort of movie marathon. And so every Saturday for the last few years, we've been hopping online and streaming horror movies together. And that has totally ruined me for watching horror movies alone. Cause like, I want to, I want to make jokes or like, I want to know that my friends are watching along so we can reference, you know, this, that, or the other thing later. And uh, it feels kind of lonely to watch a horror movie by myself now. Because it's so fun to just riff on horror movies as a group. And I've got a Google Doc that has about 230 horror movies on it. And, you know, programming the film fest every week is really <laughs> something I look forward to and enjoy. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? The remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not the recent one, but the like 2001 yeah i saw that alone in a theater and it was such a brutal assault on the senses <laughs> it, it made me feel dirty and it was just kind of horrifying and movies like the sadness you know the mm -hmm. i believe korean horn film uh, i think it's taiwanese taiwanese oh yeah. i apologize the, the the sadness you know i turned it off about halfway through because <laughs> You know, I am a bit of a gore hound. You know, I I got back into horror sort of as a teenager. And, you know, I used to read Fangoria magazine. And like I said, I had a poster of Freddy Krueger on my wall. And I just kept chasing like more and more intense horror movies to the point where I got totally desensitized. Uh, and nowadays, if... If that's all a movie has to offer is just gore or brutality and there's no good characters or story there, you know, nothing that works on multiple layers, I'm just going to get turned off by it. You know, I, I think if you're a 15 year old edgelord, you know, you want to watch some old Taiwanese man having sex with a woman's skull, like, great, you do you, uh, not for me. Yeah, the sadness is brutal. I saw that at a film festival last year. I didn't know what it was going to be. Oh, I, sat down. I just thought it was going to be a zombie movie. And then they present the presenter came out and they were like, so this is one of the most bloody and brutal and violent movies that we've ever seen, including sexual violence. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what I, was the audience reaction? I don't even remember. But the people next to me were like, oh, God, we didn't know. We didn't know what we were coming into either. So, yeah. We were. Yeah, I'd at least heard the hype about it. And I was, yeah. I don't think I knew it was Taiwanese. I had seen a bunch of Korean zombie stuff that I mm -hmm. really enjoyed. Yeah. I really like the K-zombie stuff because, you know, recently in America, it feels like zombies have sort of shifted into fast zombie mode. Yeah. You know, jaded audiences are not scared by slow zombies so it's yeah. scarier if they're running at you and i think the the small exception you get in these korean zombie movies is that the zombies aren't just fast but they run at you face first like there is a violent kinetic 
nature to the way that they just like smash through, like they stampede in, in with wild abandon in a way that American fast zombies don't. And, uh, you know, next time you see a, a K zombie movie, or I don't know if you saw Kingdom on Netflix, really excellent historical drama with zombies. Hmm. So it's like feudal Korea, but there's this outbreak of fast zombies and there's a mystery to it and there's swordplay and there's this wild zombie mobs or, you know, train to Busan or hashtag alive, you know, is another one that came out. I really, really like the vibe of the Korean zombie stuff. Yeah, I've seen Train to Busan. I haven't seen Hashtag Alive. That's it's been on my my watch list for a while. I just I'm not often in the mood for a zombie movie unless it's like 28 Days Later. So yeah, I, I feel like Hashtag Alive is closer to 28 Days Later. There's another one that came out, High School of the Dead, I think maybe, unless I'm getting that mixed up with the anime. And it started out really good, but it's funny when the outbreak starts to happen, one of the students turns to another student like, this is just like Train to Busan. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, of course, they would reference it, right? Because yeah. it, was, it was such a, a popular movie. But as much as I enjoyed the beginning of that series, towards the end, it just kind of became a, a slog about brutality you know, you, you've got a small group of survivors that you've bonded with. And then once they've made all the possible sacrifices and they should be free and clear, they kind of just keep killing them off for no reason. And that was a bummer. Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? I think the most visceral experiences I've had were with the found footage genre. i prone to motion sickness, car sickness, VR sickness. And, you know, the first time I saw Blair Witch or Quarantine, which is the American version of Wreck, those were, and even Cloverfield, you know, were, were pretty rough with the camera swinging around. But when I saw Quarantine, I, I found myself with a, a free Saturday or, or Friday or something. And I saw that there was a showtime coming up. So I called my buddy Ryan. I'm like, hey, let's meet down at the theater. I got us two tickets for quarantine. And it was that kind of situation where you park and you run in with like five minutes to spare. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't had lunch. And I was like, okay, I'm going to grab a slice of barbecue pizza. <laughs> and so I just wolfed down this barbecue pizza and then ran into quarantine and then the whole movie was like a camera just spinning and 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 swinging around and i was white knuckling my seat it trying is. not to be sick yeah oh, wow. that, you know it, you feel like you're in it right yeah i hadn't realized how rough the camera work was for cloverfield until i saw it again in theaters on a big screen at the end of august or beginning of september it was really rough i was glad that i do not get motion sickness like that yeah, there, there are scenes where you just kind of got to close your eyes and just listen. Yeah. yeah listen yeah. for the running to stop. What are your top five favorite horror movies that you've seen in 2022? Let's see. I'm going to click over to a list here. So as I was saying, I haven't been watching a lot of those by myself. But this year, kind of the three most interesting movies I've seen were Barbarian, Smile, and Scare Me. Nice. Yeah, those are solid picks. I love Barbarian and Smile, especially. I really liked Barbarian. I'm kind of pissed off at Smile. Why? I, I saw a sneak preview of it. And so I was in a packed theater. You know, everyone was, was digging it. And the movie was so good and sort of such a steady hand on the wheel. I really liked the scares and the plot and the characters and spoilers for the movie smile i feel like they put the main character through absolute hell and they gave her a chance to survive and redeem herself and she did she faced her fears and she 
healed her trauma because ultimately the the curse in the movie smile is about trauma and how trauma gets passed on and the main character heals her trauma and then they kill her anyway and if there's a takeaway from that movie is that it doesn't matter if you face your fears it doesn't matter if you work on yourself and try to heal trauma there is absolutely no redemption you can never heal from the wounds of your past you are doomed and up until a certain point i feel like the job of a horror movie is to create a reaction or an emotional experience which is horror but when i invest in a character a really good character like that that felt very real I also feel like there is a responsibility to storytelling and you kind of want that payoff for your character and a lesser horror movie, you know, like a Friday the 13th, there is no final girl. Like the monster is always going to come back and get her. Cause the point is in a slasher movie, your secret, at least in the sequels, you're secretly rooting for the monster. You know, you, you just want to see teens get butchered on screen And it's sort of a weird power punishment fantasy of like a bunch of obnoxious teenagers get murdered. But when you have a movie that presents itself as a bit more mature and psychologically nuanced, like Smile, and then to kind of betray that character at the end like that, it just really bummed me out. Like it wasn't fun that she redeemed herself and went on that hero's journey and just dies in the end. Like, I don't know. It felt cheap. It it felt like they went for the horror and or sequel potential instead of paying off this, this story, which was like an awesome thrill ride up until that point. Yeah, I agree. I had the same problem with the ending. It was like, you're, she still died anyway. So what are they really saying? Yeah, and I, I was talking to some some randos after, and they're like, oh, I want to know where that where the monster comes from. Oh, th- you know, I wonder what the next movie is going to be like. And it's like, do you not care about the character that we just spent like two hours invested in? Like yeah. her story or, or the lo- larger message of the movie? But, you know, there was also an 11-year-old kid in the theater in front of me and I was just horrified horrified that someone would bring a a small child into that movie oh I feel like it's not too bad for an 11 year old I watched Scream when I was 11 I don't know I think that Smile was much more brutal than Scream because Scream was just stabbings basically right Mm -hmm. and you had a character in a scary but somewhat goofy mask but there's also a lot of humor and like cool music in scream whereas smile was about a therapist working in a mental institution and grappling with with trauma suicide depression drug addiction i don't and 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 really like horrifying kills that you know, it wasn't fun in the way that Scream was fun. I don't know. That's, uh, that's true. I think I think an 11-year-old would just see the movie for the kills, and they wouldn't actually appreciate the deeper meaning underneath it. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. When I was, a, when I was a, a, a nascent horror fan, I saw The Exorcist, and I was like, this is boring. <laughs> and then I took a horror film analysis class in college and got to see it in a small theater and it scared the crap out of me <laughs> uh, just because I was so brought into the story and the, the oppressive atmosphere of dread and the editing and the music and everything just sort of swept me along and really, really rattled me in a way that my, you know, edgelord 12-year-old horror fan mine couldn't really appreciate. Yeah. What horror movies are you most looking forward to seeing in 2023? I have no idea what's coming out. You know, when I program our, our weekend film fest, I'm so often 
trying to dig up weird gems from the 80s or 70s. I don't know. Hit me. What's uh, What are some things coming up? Megan, The Nun 2, Scream 6, Knock at the Cabin, The Exorcist, the remake or the reboot or whatever is coming out, Evil Dead Rise, Salem's Lot. So Knock at the Cabin is is an adaptation of Cabin of the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. So yeah. that's probably top of my list. Scream 6, you know, I, I loved Scream 5. We'll see how <laughs> Scream 6 does. And what was the last one you mentioned? Evil Dead Rise is coming out and a new Exorcist movie is coming out. Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. You know, as a, as a horror writer, you sort of are, are juggling certain thoughts in the back of your mind and or, or sort of grappling with, with certain subgenres. You know, like zombie movies are played out or, you know, zombie stories are, are, are passe. How, how would you revitalize that? What would be your take? And for vampires, I feel like they've been through so many kind of boom and bust cycles. There's, there's very little new ground there. And also, just like Dracula kind of changed the game, I feel like Twilight really changed the game. And so a lot of people grew up with a very different kind of vampire that's not scary. I mean, when was the last time you saw a vampire in a movie that like scared the shit out of you? Probably never. Yeah. For me, those iconic moments from Salem's Lot, the book and the, the TV adaptation, were really, really, honestly, and truly terrifying. And so when I think about how can we make vampires scary again, I kind of go back to Salem's Lot, which I did, and it, the movie doesn't really hold up. You know, it was, it was like a TV sort of event slash miniseries and it just drags and drags and drags. And so much of the, the movie isn't very compelling, but still there are these high watermarks and, you know, the ones of, you know, the vampire sitting in the rocking chair in the dark, the master coming in and killing the boy's parents the child floating at the window. And I feel like if there's a way forward to kind of rejuvenate or redeem vampires in film as being legitimately terrifying and not just sexy or, you know, emo, I feel like that the, there's a key buried there in Salem's lot somewhere. So I'm curious to see how they reboot it. Yeah, hopefully they can make it scary. Because I think we deserve some scary vampire movies. I think it's time to get back to the roots there. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? I really like atmosphere. And I know other people want, you know, gore or kills or action and things like that. So, you know, I love I love madcap movies like Dog Soldiers. You know, special forces versus werewolves. It's just, it's bonkers. And I love a lot of the, the weird made in Italy grindhouse horror movies that just have really weird acting and, and nonsensical plots like Neon Maniacs. A lot of the stuff on Tubi right now is, is really uh, a, a banquet of, of undiscovered gems. But then movies like The Ring, I know a lot of people think it's really slow, boring, or Mass that Flanagan did for Netflix. You know, a lot of people think that's really slow. But I love an atmosphere of suspense and creeping dread. You know, I, I like tension and then release. I don't necessarily want to see something that's just boom, boom, boom. You know, if there's no suspense or, or atmosphere to it. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? None. And not the nun. None. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't remake horror movies. I think the nun should be remade, maybe to be a better movie though. So that could be I'm gonna say that's your answer because that movie's look, terrible. Look, <laughs> they they shot the shot. Move on. You know, try to make a sequel that's a better story, or 
try to come up with some new property. Now more than ever, I think we are stuck in this endless reincarnation of reboots, remakes, requels, sequels, sequels, prequels. You know, maybe that's good for superheroes or or super spies, but in horror, like I was saying early, there's so much room to innovate. I mean, look at Barbarian, right? You can just do anything uh, and just let your freak flag fly. So why remake, I don't know, Friday the 13th for the millionth time when you can try to create something new? I mean, obviously the answer is, you know, for money and I get it, but horror is such an experimental playground where the the horror itself is the attraction so you can take a chance you can go mid to low budget and still create something that can become a phenomenon like paranormal activity or barbarian or any of the blumhouse movies right so you don't need to remake something with name recognition. You just need the the word of mouth and the buzz of something that's that's really wild. And I think horror excels at giving you these these wild swings. Yeah. So my last question is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Annie Wilkes. Annie Wilkes was the domineering captor from Stephen King's Misery. And at least with her, I know I would finish my novels. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet and find your books as well? Sure. You can find me at jeffccarter.com, at Twitter, at Carter Wrote It, and Instagram at jeffccarter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I will talk to you soon on the internet for as long as Twitter is still around. <laughs> right. I I literally, before we got on Zoom, I made a Hive account <laughs> and not a lot of people posting. So this, yeah. this might be a good time to hop in now if you want to get some eyeballs on your stuff. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, talk to you soon. Thank you again. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff C. Carter and thanks again to Jeff for coming on. I'll leave links to his socials in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at whosthereapc at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get boosted. <laughs>